Uh, we are picking up in week nine of our foundations teaching series. And what our foundations teaching series is, is one of our first steps in NC's uh, developing discipleship track. Uh, we believe it's important to give you guys a clear track by which you can walk on to grow as disciples in Jesus. And one of the purposes is to help people learn how to follow Jesus uh, to, to be a disciple, which is ultimately a, a student, an apprentice of Jesus. We talked a lot about that over the last, uh, well, eight weeks. And uh, as a matter of fact, if, you, if you've missed any of those teachings, I would recommend going to northwood.church slash podcast. You can catch up on all of them. And uh, ultimately, our heart is to lay a foundation for people, especially new believers, but even for those that might come from different contexts and backgrounds, so that we can all be learning uh, what it is, how we view and understand the foundations of Christianity. And the one thing that we want to make sure that you absolutely get a hold of through this series is that Christ is our cornerstone. He is the foundation that we let, build our lives on. And we want everybody to know what that looks like. And so, again, today, week nine, uh, today is a, a part one of a two-part series where we're going to be talking about the church specifically. Uh, we've talked a lot of th about ways that we engage God through worship and prayer and, uh, you know, how he saves us and how he sanctifies us and continues to mature us and uh, a lot of different angles. But today, really, specifically, like, what is going on here? And we're going to ask and answer the question, what is the church? Now, I, I did want to mention this. Uh, if you only hear today's message, uh, it's going to feel a little incomplete because there's going to be a big part of what we believe about the church that we're going to be dealing with, not this coming week because that's Church of Jones Park, not the following week because we're actually going to have a guest speaker, but the week after that. So it's going to be a little gap between the two, uh, and I'm going to give you part two of church that week where it's going to kind of feel like an appropriate conclusion to, to what I talk about today. Uh, that being said, we are asking the question, what is the church? And there's different views on what the church is. And a lot of people ask a lot of questions when they, when they hear that. What is the church? And uh, they, they start thinking about, like, well, you know, how do I relate to the church, right? And, and a lot of the questions start looking like, do I need to go to church? Can I just listen to church on a podcast or watch on a Facebook Live? Uh, do I need a pastor? Can I just have a digital pastor, somebody that says really cool things and I can quote them and, and, and share them out on my Instagram? Or do I actually need a, a relationship with a live pastor? Uh, do I need to be part of a church, actively engaged in that community? If so, what am I looking for in that? Do I care about the style of music? Am I looking for something more traditional, more contemporary? Uh, do, I, do I care about what type of teaching there is? Am I looking for something that's quickly reaching that place of practicality, like, hey, man, he gave me a nugget for, for the day. That, that was really easy. Or am I looking for something a little deeper, a little richer, a little, little more informed by the Scripture? What am I looking for? Uh, do they have good kids' ministry? Do they have good singles' ministry or men's ministry or women's ministry? You know, all the, the smorgasbord of, of opportunities that so many people are looking for when they're shopping for church. I hate to use that language, but it's true. Is it a place where I can belong, make friends, again, become part of a community of people, right? And, and, and there's these million questions uh, that, that people ask. And, and another one that a lot of people ask is, will I be asked to do anything? <laughs> Am I going to have to, like, give my time away? Am I going to have to... You know, invest my energy into the community. What are they, what are they asking for? And most, most importantly, this is the biggest one, is there good coffee? <laughs> I mean, because some of you made your decision when you walked in the front door as to whether or not you were going to keep walking based on whether or not there was coffee there, right? 
Uh, we all want good coffee, and there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we, we kind of imbibe what's called the Goldilocks syndrome, where we're looking for the right church. And, and we go to this church, and it says, you know, this, this church is to this. That bed's too soft. Or we go to this other church, and, and well, this church is to that. That bed's too hard. And, and so we're looking for just the right church that checks all of our boxes, right? And, and sometimes we can be so focused on checking every single box that we want to be perfect that we actually miss the richness of what God is doing in the community, especially a growing church that might not be able to provide every last box that you would like to have checked. And so the Goldilocks syndrome can actually rob you of the opportunity to settle down in a healthy church, even though it doesn't have every single thing you're looking for. So really then, are those the, the right questions to ask? I'm not saying they're bad questions, but there might be some more important questions to ask. And so we're going to answer four questions today. One has less to do with whether or not you would choose to be part of a church, but more to do with the history of the church. And that's when did the church begin? Another is what is the church? Because if you're going to decide you know, to be part of a church, you don't want it to just be about those higher level surface things, what ministries they offer, do they, do they have coffee, but man, like what do they believe about who the church is, right? So uh, what is the church and who is the church? And then ultimately something that's important is what is the order of the church? You know, what is God doing in the church and, and how do I come into line alignment with that. And so let's start with when did the church begin? Last week, if you were here, uh, we taught on uh, the, the cross and the resurrection. Great, great place to teach on Easter, right? And we actually taught that through the lens of communion and Passover. And one of the things that uh, we offered to you was the reality that we forget things sometimes. And, and even Jesus' closest people, Peter, remember him? That's Jesus' right-hand man, his, his ride or die. And, and Peter forgot. Peter forgot what Jesus had said about him. And, and even though Peter said, I won't deny you, it wasn't long before Peter actually denied Christ to that little girl standing at that fire. But we also know that Jesus is, is so gracious and, uh, and he later restores Peter. But before all that happened, Jesus asks his disciples, before Jesus even goes on the cross, who do they think that he is? And this is the confidence that Peter had in his heart. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what we're about to hear in Jesus' response is the first place that we hear the word church used in the New Testament scripture. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so uh, isn't it wonderful that Jesus followed through on that commitment to Peter because after Peter denied him, and, and after Jesus was resurrected, remember, Peter was approached by Jesus, and, and Peter restored him fully to the ministry. And what did he say? Feed my sheep. I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he ties Peter to feeding his sheep to that mission. And in Acts chapter 1, we see the resurrected Christ. Before he's ascending to the right hand of the Father to, to take his rightful place in glory, before his ascension, he instructs the disciples, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon you before you begin this earthly ministry that I have charged you to begin, right? To go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey what I commanded you. Before you do that, you're going to need a little help. I'm sending my spirit. And, uh, and, and this, this incident occurred 
during this time of Pentecost, this Feast of Pentecost, or the, the Feast of, of First Fruits, um, the, this is a time when, when the Jews would have been celebrating this sacred moment in the calendar uh, that was 50 days after the Passover. And that's where the word Pentecost comes from, 50 days post-Passover. Uh, and here the disciples are on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and they're all gathered together in one place. Thankfully, they obeyed Christ. And when Christ's Holy Spirit came upon them, they were filled and empowered to actually accomplish the mission of the church. And that is the moment in 33 AD that marked the beginning of the church as we understand it. And Peter, that, that day, preached a sermon to the crowds. And he says, you crucified them. It's your law. It's your sin. It's your wickedness that put Christ on the cross. He's the, you're the reason. We're the reason that, that he had to go there to accomplish that. You crucified him. Now, he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, with many other words, which I'm going to give you many, many other words today. I forgive, forgive me in advance. He warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Save yourselves from this corruption. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. No small church there, huh? That was rapid church growth. That's a, that's a, that's a good church growth model, don't you think? Just preaching the gospel in power? I think that's what we'll keep doing. And the church that was gathered, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And, and so this is the beginning of the church. And so we know where the church comes from when it started. The, the question now is, what does the word church mean? And if you were to go back to Matthew 16, verse 18, that word church is the Greek word ekklesia. Some say ecclesia. And it means gathering or assembly. And it's used 114 times in the New Testament. Now, it's not only used for Christ's gathering of people. That's a common Greek word that would have been used for any gathering of people. But here, Christ is saying, you'll be my church, my gathering, my ecclesia, right? And we use this word to church to describe a number of different things. First and foremost, all who have put their faith in Jesus all across the globe. That's the global church, right? A lot of people who are very kingdom-minded like to primarily think about the church in that way, the global church. We're all one body. It's true. We're actually going to talk about that here in a little while. Uh, and we should think about the church that way. But then there's some other ways to think about the word church. Uh, one is a smaller, more specific gathering of Christians, which is a local church, a local expression of that global church. The Northwood Church, where you're sitting right now here in Ocean Springs, uh, let alone at all three of our other locations. We are a local church, a local expression of the kingdom of God. Ocean Springs, more specifically, even more local to this community than our other locations, right? And so there's this local church that... Christ is building that the gates of hell will not prevail against. And then a lot of people think about church in this way, and the, the Scripture really doesn't talk about it this way as much, uh, although we can kind of tie some of what we believe about this to other theologies we find in the text, but it doesn't define it clearly. And, and really a lot of people think about a church as a building. right? It's the church building. And it's where the church gathers. Now, the reason why we decided to include that, even though we don't believe that the building is the church, the, the universal global church, right, the church of Christ has nothing to do with the building. It's actually, we, we are the, the temple. We'll talk about that in a bit. But the reality of it is, is that when the church, God's people gather, the ecclesia in a building, 
God inhabits the praise of his people, and that space is sacred. And so we don't want to diminish the, the wonderful thing that God does in the building just because we have an aversion to the way that some people have made it all about the building. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's continue talking about ecclesia. Ecclesia is where we get our word ecclesiology from. I'm not going to try to go too deep into this because I don't want to give you guys like a, a lecture up here. But ecclesiology uh, really is just simply the study of the church. And, and it's actually important to understand this specific branch of theology because it's the one that studies the Christian church's nature, structure, and function. And, and without proper understanding, it's hard to honor God in the way that we think about his church. We want to have a good ecclesiology, a good understanding of the church's nature, structure, and function, especially because we want to be a healthy church. We want to honor God. We want to be healthy. And even more so, in difficult times, when the church is up against adversity, the more grounded we are in understanding who we are, our identity as a people, as a gathering, the, the gathering of Christ, as we come up against adversity, we're more resilient, we're more stable, we cling together, but also... Even in great times. Look, last, last week was Easter service, right? We did Resurrection Sunday, right? And it was an incredible day. We had 265 people in this church. Yeah, absolutely. It was incredible. 49 of which were precious next generation souls, children, all right? And, and it, first off, I just want to thank the team that made it happen. Can we just give it up for the team that plowed and, and poured into it incredibly fruitful and, and rich experience, but, but it was a good time. And do you know that if we don't have a good ecclesiology, we can actually lose sight of what's actually happening in that moment. And, and so, and not only that, but as we look to continue to, to honor God with all of our services and inevitably healthy things grow, as we grow, man, we want to stay anchored to the truth of what God says about his gathering of people. And so we need a good ecclesiology, a good, a good understanding of the church. Now, specifically, who is the church? And I'm going to start tapping into some more scriptures to, to bring clarity here. The church is a spiritual community of believers. But to, to clarify, it's believers who are united by faith in Christ and called to love and serve one another who are participating in Christ's mission in the world. That's what a spiritual community of believers in. We don't believe in some abstract, existential, esoteric, spiritual force. We believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our faith is in him and him alone, and there's nothing else that we believe in. It's his name that's lifted high above every other's, and that's what we rally around. And that's why our mission starts with we exist to build Christ-centered communities. We don't just build any community our community is centered on the person and work of Jesus. Now, many communities, if you think about other contexts, think about a, a fitness community, think about, think about a, a more tribal community, maybe in a country that still has more of a tribal origin. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of communities are really based on an ethnocentric and even a race-centric or even a social-centric kind of category. People who, who look like each other, behave like each other, 
uh, live like each other tend to gravitate towards each other, right? And, and, and that's how a lot of communities are around the world. Uh, the thing I love about the church is that the church is not limited to particular race, ethnicity, or social class, but is open to all people who confess Jesus as Lord, both Jew and Gentile, united together as one body in Christ. No, no dividing barriers, no, no walls of hostility, unified in the spirit. And this is really important. Because when I look out here, I see diversity, and I love it. And we're going to continue to pursue diversity. We're going to continue to invite diversity. I love the fact that most churches are aiming to be at least as diverse as their city. And I love looking out here and seeing that we are far more diverse than our city. It's beautiful what God's doing. And, and so all people who have faith in Christ are part of this spiritual community. Now, the church is... The body of Christ. That's the next thing. The body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The body does not consist of one member but of many. And if you skip down to verse 27, it says, Now... You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so individually, you are the body of Christ. Josh, you're the body of Christ. Josh and Amber together are the body of Christ because their faith unites them. But Josh and Amber together with every other person in this room are the body of Christ because we're all united by the Spirit in faith. There's a, a oneness, an interconnectedness of all believers. And it, it really is a spiritual unity. We're going to talk about unity in just a little while, so I won't crack that open. But the church is the body of Christ. The church is also expressed clearly in the text as the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, we see teaching from Paul the Apostle about marriage. And he talks about the relationship between a husband and a wife and the, the order in that marriage and the love and honor in that marriage and what the marriage is supposed to, to, to be. And, and then he says in verse 32 of chapter 5, this mystery is profound. He's speaking about the, the marriage because how many of you who are married know that marriage can be like a mystery sometimes, right? But he's also speaking about the correlation between the mystery of marriage and the mystery of the church. He says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, we see that Christ is the bridegroom, and his church is his bride. And for all you rough and tumble men out there, you might not like to be thought of as a bride, <laughs> and I get it, but that's a very spiritual reality that we want to acknowledge and even embrace and live in because there's beauty and proper order in our relationship with the Christ. And we are, I am, the bride of Christ. And, and I think it's important to emphasize that because there's this intimacy in marriage, or at least there should be. And that reflects an intimacy in our relationship with Jesus. I think it's also important because those texts show that the groom, the, the husband, is to wash his wife in the word and present her pure be, before Christ. That's one of our responsibilities as a husband. And, and ultimately, it's a picture of Christ then washing us, his bride, pure as he presents us before the Father. Isn't it a wonderful image that we have knowing that we are the bride of Christ? And we, like a bride does with her groom, we devote ourselves to Christ. It's covenantal. 
It's covenantal. It's a promise between two parties that should never be broken. Obviously, in our brokenness and our flesh, we have failures in our marriages, and God has grace. But, man, in Christ, the, the relationship between the bride and the groom, that's unbreakable, that bond. And, uh, man, it's just a wonderful thing to know about us. The church is not only the bride of Christ. The church is the household of God. Another kind of family-like language. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we're fellow citizens in this household of faith. That This relationship between believers and God is, is like a relationship between children and their father. Right? So, so we're part of his household. And, and not only are we like relating to God like children, but we relate to one another like siblings. You all are my brothers and sisters. Now, for some of you, if you come from a context like I do where my brothers were chumps, then you might have a problem with that kind of language. But, but the reality of it is, is we have the opportunity to do it better than those broken families that we come from, right? We can do it by the grace of God and fill with his spirit. And so we're brothers and sisters. We fam. We fam, right? We like to say that a lot around here. And family is one of the most consistent metaphors that we see in the, in the New Testament for the ecclesia, for Christ's church. And I think that, that speaks a lot to who we are here. We're not a business. We're not a corporation. We're not a, we're not a club. And, and I'll just tell you right now, one of the testimonies I get most consistently from new people in our church, people that come in and say, wow. It just feels like a family. It just people are so loving and welcoming and want to know me, and it's it's really sweet. And I'm just so honored that I get to do life with people who take this theology seriously, who have a revelation of this reality that we fam, and that we're walking in it. And now I know some of you might not feel like you're fam yet, but don't worry. Keep leaning in. It'll come. We're brothers and sisters in Christ first, and then we become friends and family relationally over time. And so keep sowing in. Keep investing. Uh, I also want to say that it's interesting that the family is one of the most notable metaphors for the church in the Scripture because it's also the family that is most notably under attack in societies. Uh, people would love to disrupt the relationship between parental figures, parents and children. Uh, people would love to disrupt uh, the monogamous commitment between a husband and a wife. People would love to disrupt the, the, the vision that God had for family. And it's not just because the enemy wants to tear down families. It's because if you tear down families, you're tearing down one of the most prominent imageries in all of the scripture that represent the beauty of our relationship with Jesus. The enemy is obviously after families. And so we should pray about that. The church is not only the household of God. The church is God's spiritual temple. We're just going to read these following verses, and that should make it clear. Ephesians 2.19, it says, You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A dwelling place. That's what the temple was always intended to be in the Old Testament teaching that we see. 
a dwelling place for the presence of God. And it's built on Christ, the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is joined together. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, Peter continues helping us understand this, this truth. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are built, being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so we have Christ the cornerstone, and then you, the living stones, and we're all being built up into a holy habitation where Christ's presence dwells and, and where we have the ability to walk in this truth as the spiritual temple. Now, the temple in Jerusalem was a sacred building that was dedicated to the worship of God. It was a place where a holy God met with a sinful people. That's a picture of grace, isn't it? That, that a God who is so holy that he, that he has to separate himself from sin made a way to still build a bridge between him, a holy God, and us who are filled with our sinful nature. I'm so thankful for the temple in the Old Testament, but more so only because it set the pattern for the temple in the New Testament. Jesus now the temple, and he calls us the temple. The church is a modern-day temple where God's presence resides. Individually, Christ resides, his presence resides in us. Sometimes you sense, man, when you're worshiping or you're praying or you're reading the word or you're hanging out with you know, let's talk about individually first. And, and you just sense just that God is present with me. Some of it, Sometimes we call it goosebumps, and, and some people play that down as emotions. Now, sometimes it's God literally moving on your soul. Sometimes there's those moments where you're just overwhelmed with emotion, and you're like, oh, I'm just so emotional. Sometimes it's literally God cracking open the hard exterior of your heart so that you can actually experience him. And, and, so, and so individually we experience the presence of God. But then together, as I mentioned earlier, Man, as we're worshiping together, as we lift praise and, and confess praise with our lips, the Scripture tells us that God inhabits the praise of his people. And I'm not saying that God wasn't here before. I'm just saying that when we gather as the people of God and praise Jesus collectively, that he manifests his presence in a unique way that he doesn't often do in our prayer closet, let's say. And so we love the presence of God. And there's, man, Amber, I think, said it earlier. Man, well, God, we need your presence so much. Holy Spirit, pour yourself out on us, right? And, and so, so we want to experience that individually and collectively as a church. So the church is God's spiritual temple. The church is also the flock of God. First Peter chapter 5, verse 2 says, shepherd the flock of God. This is Peter writing to some other church leaders, giving him instruction, them instruction about how they should care for the sheep. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Remember I told you, Christ said to Peter, feed my sheep, and then commissioned him, encouraged him to continue on the commission. And, and this is Peter with first row seating to all the teachings of Jesus, calling the, the people of God a flock. We are Christ's flock, and, and God does view us as his sheep. All throughout the text, we see that imagery used to define the people of God. And you know what sheep need? Care and protection. And sometimes a rod. <laughs> sometimes we need a, a, a little correction, a little, sometimes we need a little protection. And the shepherd that uses his rod to correct will also use his rod to protect God, the good, Christ, the good shepherd. He, he protects his sheep. And, and he gives guidance and leadership not only through his Holy Spirit, but even through those who walk in the gift of shepherd, 
Those who you might view as like a pastor or are pastoral. It might not just be the guy preaching from the pulpit, right? It might be somebody who walks in a pastoral gift. And God gives those people to the church to help do the same thing, to, to nurture and care for and protect the sheep. And, and there's all these different phrases that give us a portrait of who the church is. And there's actually others as well, but we're going to focus on these primarily. But these give us a portrait of the nature and identity of the church, of her unity, of her belonging to Christ, of, of her being a family, and of her dependence on God's care and guidance. And yes, I'm calling the church a her because she is the bride. And, and so we need our good shepherd uh, to, to give us a revelation of all of these things, to open our hearts to the truth that is in this theology so that it, it doesn't just stay here, but so that it deposits into our hearts and that we can actually live out of this. Because if you are living out of this, I'm just going to tell you right now, it changes the way that you look at the people sitting next to you. If you're living out of these truths, it changes the way that you think about church on Sunday mornings. It changes the way that you think about ministry and, and serving. It changes the way that you think about supporting and loving people. If you, if you, if you have this in your heart, not just in your mind, th this, this changes the way you live. And so if you were to look at each of those portraits, though, uh, each of those portraits of the church has a common element of order. Right, So uh, a flock, there's a shepherd and sheep, and the shepherd you know, orders the care of the sheep. In a family, the household of faith, or even the, the, the relationship between husband and wife, there's an order, and, and God has a designed order in those spaces. Well, he has a designed order in the church as well. Uh, and so what we're going to do is explore that. What is the order of the church? The Bible's instructions for church leaders and members and, and orderly function, uh, that idea, uh, you know, part of it comes from this one scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace or shalom, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Now, that word shalom is this idea of not just like peace of mind, although that's included in it. It's this idea of wholeness, wholeness. In the garden, there was wholeness between Adam and Eve and God. When sin entered the equation, it disrupted that shalom. That wholeness represented right relationship with God, represented right relationship with one another, represented abundance, represented health. It represented all of the things that come with, with the wholeness that Christ provides, his shalom. And the enemy disrupted that plan when he deceived Adam and Eve, and now you see brokenness in their relationship, brokenness between them and God, brokenness in their health, brokenness in the, in the health of the world. Shalom was disrupted, and, and God wants order in his church because order contributes to shalom in his church, and our church will be a church with order because our church is going to be a church with shalom, amen? And so what brings order in the church? Well, first and foremost, we talk about this all the time, submission to Christ. Submission to Christ. He, uh, I, I use that scripture from uh, Matthew 16 earlier where he said, I will build my church. That, that my shows belonging. And, and if we belong to Christ, we must submit to Christ. Uh, Ephesians 1.19 teaches us that all authority in the church is Christ's authority. As a matter of fact, it reads, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Power, right? According to, those, to the working of his great might, that 
he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, Christ, at his, God's, right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is what? The body. We're the body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ has all authority. We're the body. He's the head. He's over us. And we've got to submit to that reality. And when we submit to Christ's authority as a church, individually and collectively, we demonstrate love for him, honor for him, but we also acknowledge his lordship in our lives. The only, the only way that you would really submit to Christ is not just if he's Savior. You would be grateful for him to make you Savior. But if he's Lord, if he's King Jesus, if he's over you, then you'll submit to him. And, and so we as a church want to continue to grow in this. And we talk about this every single week in some capacity. His lordship, our submission. So I'll move on for brevity's sake. Submission to scripture is the second one. All authority is his, yes. And then all that comes from him then is also authoritative. And we actually uh, taught on the word being authoritative in this series. If you missed it, go listen. Uh, but the word of God comes from him. So, so the Bible is the ultimate authority for the church and should guide our decisions and actions. Of course, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us in those nuanced areas. But whatever the scripture is clear about, that's our authority. Th that, that text is inspired by the spirit, as a matter of fact. Let's read from 2 Tim Timothy chapter 3. It says, all scripture is breathed out or inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God is inspired by God's spirit himself. And so it's an authority in our lives and we want to submit to it. As a matter of fact, we must submit to the Bible's teaching, even if it challenges our beliefs, our lifestyles. You know, the word has the power to convict, transform, and renew us as we cooperate with it and the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so we yield to the authority of the word. We ask the Holy Spirit to make it true in our lives. And, and we try to live in obedience and submission to it. And our allegiance, it's not to anything else in this world. It's to Christ and his kingdom. And so if our ultimate goal is to please God and live holy lives why not cooperate with the thing that he gave us that makes it, that is the most clear description of how we can please God and live holy lives, his living word. Amen. The last thing that we're going to talk about um, is, is for a lot of people a little less acceptable, a little less easy to process. The other things you're like, absolutely. But for some of us, this next thing, you might struggle with this, but I've got to teach it. Uh, and, and try to make it as clear and understandable as possible. The next thing is submission to church leaders. Uh, this is a very sticky topic for people, uh, but we're going to go in, and I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, and unfortunately, the, although it's fortunate because I think all of the word is a gift, and fortunately we have it, but just it's, it's hard to use language like this in our current context because so many people have, are triggered by it, and I don't want you to be triggered by it. Unfortunately, we get triggered a little bit easily. Uh, so let's listen to this. Uh, and, and then let's explore it. Hebrews 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
this verse gives instruction to obey and submit to our church leaders who God appoints to watch over our souls. Now, this idea of obeying and submitting is really tied to trust. It really is tied to trust. Trusting God that he put the right people in the right place and then trusting the people. And sometimes that's where it gets real hard. Uh, you know, I'm a teacher of the word and, and I'm honestly at times apprehensive to talk about this because of so much of the mistrust that is out there. And I would not be faithful to God or the text if I did not address this. And so I'm going to. For some of you, maybe even, uh, maybe leaders have mishandled you. Uh, maybe they've mishandled their authority that they've walked in. Uh, that maybe even God gave them and they, they mishandled it and, and misrepresented Christ in doing that. And it hurts you. And so many people have deep trust issues uh, with leaders and all authority even for that matter. And then others, maybe they don't have a problem with a church leader, but maybe other authority figures have wounded them. And, and so you're not willing to open yourself up to too many people at all. You're not going to give your back to anybody because now you're exposed, you're vulnerable, right? And anybody can, they can get out on you if you give them your back. And, and I'm not going to do that. I've, I've been through enough pain to give somebody my back again. Or maybe we feel gifted and burdened and called and, and maybe the church that we're a part of maybe feels like we, don't, we haven't figured out how to, how to walk freely in our gifting and, and so we feel like maybe the, the pastor is like kind of creating this narrow little lane for us or the, the church leadership structure is creating a narrow little lane for us and, 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 and rightly so, we're, we're burdened, we're gifted, we're called, we, we're like, I got to figure out how to walk in this. I just want to tell you that that's not abnormal. I've actually gone through all that myself. Um, pastor Van was our, our former senior pastor, and then Pastor Jordan became our senior pastor five years ago. But uh, before I got invited on staff, I had trust issues. Uh, authority figures, I want about that. I'm a disestablishmentarian. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's the way I think about things, uh, you know, in a lot of ways. And as a matter of fact, all that st- talk about the, the, the church as a local institution even I, I, I struggled with that as a young man and early as a young believer. I had to, God had to do a lot of work in my heart around those things. And when I came into uh, the circle of, of relationship with the pastors, uh, you know, they would ask for trust. Will you trust me with this, with this decision? Will you trust me with what I'm saying about you or saying to you or how we're leading through this? Will you trust me with that? And I had many decisions that had to be made as to whether or not I would trust them. And it was hard at times, not because they did anything wrong, not because Pastor Jordan has ever led me, you know, and abused his authority. No, he's led me well. You know, is he perfect? No, he makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect either. No, nobody. You won't find anybody in life that's perfect except for Christ. But Christ still extends his authority to imperfect people. And, and so here I am now invited on the staff with my trust issues, learning to trust these men. And, and my struggle to yield have far less to do with their faithfulness or unfaithfulness in regards to stewarding that authority and far more to do with the brokenness and traumas that I had in my own soul. I learned that. As I'm sitting at the table with those men and they're challenging my thinking and I'm like, no, 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 you don't get it. <laughs> No, 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 no. That doesn't allow me to be authentically me. I can't walk freely in my gifting then. You're, by not doing that, do you know what that means? I'm going to suffocate. Thinking thoughts like that. And all throughout that journey, I have watched God heal me 
of my trust issues and mature me in my thinking about how to relate with authority and mature me in my trust of, of him, that it's his authority that I'm actually engaging. And if I'll learn to yield and submit to that authority, that he'll lift me up and I don't have to worry about what anybody else is or isn't doing. And, and so I've had to go on that journey. I had to take it up with God. And, and, and you know what? God took it up with me. <laughs> I thought I was bringing a, 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 an issue to God, and he's over here. No, I'm about to bring this issue to you, young man. <laughs> You've got some growing to do, even if they're not perfect, even if they fail you, even if they trespass you, even if they step on your toes. Will you trust me that I placed you there? To learn to come under authority, to learn to trust me by learning to trust harder to trust people. He took it up with me. And, and so that part's easy to talk about because that's me being a sheep and me talking about my pastors, right? The part that's harder for me to talk about is me being a pastor, me being an under-shepherd of the good shepherd because I do happen to find myself in that role here in this church. And... In a sort of humility, I guess you could say, maybe, maybe that's where the apprehension comes from. I know many of you might wrestle the same way I wrestled. And so when I read scriptures as the pastor of this church, you might find yourself struggling in the same way I struggled when sitting at that table, here sitting in this chair listening to me. And that's why I have a little apprehension. The first thing I want to do in relationship to me being the pastor of, of, of this local church here in Ocean Springs, I want to thank those of you who have trusted God to let me lead, that have trusted me even through my shortcomings, uh, that have yielded to my leadership in this church. I want to thank you sincerely from the bottom of my heart. And the reason I want to thank you is because that scripture that I read says, let them do this with joy. So the author of Hebrews is saying, obey your leaders and submit, right? Let them lead you, keep your souls, watch over your souls with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The reason I'm so thankful, besides the fact that it just, I felt so loved and supported, is because in many senses, you are letting me care for you with joy. You're not giving, you're not making it hard for me to love you and to lead. So I don't feel this temptation towards groaning. And, and that's exactly the, the role that you're supposed to play in the context of a local church. And I, I just, again, I am so grateful for all of you. The second thing I want to say is for those of you who aren't yet sure that you trust me. <laughs> and, and some of you are brand new and you don't, I, look, you don't owe me anything. You're literally, this is your first time here and we're going in on this, right? And so, you know, maybe this wasn't the best teaching coming out of Easter, okay, okay. <laughs> some new people are like, wow, okay, talking about obey and submit. Hey, look, that's, that, I try not to lead in with that kind of stuff, okay. God is patient with us and, and, and as we're learning to trust him and, and trust what he's put us in, um, you know, he, he, he gives us space. So for those of you that are like literally brand new, but some of you have been around a little while and might still not trust me, uh, might not still be willing to acknowledge that, that God has placed me here. And for those of you, I, I just want to tell you, I understand and I empathize. I've been there. 
and I'm okay with that. But I also want to tell you that at the end of the day, I am as sober about this as I am about any other thing in my life. My wife, my kids, and this body of believers, Christ's bride, I am so sober about this. I, I meditate on it. I pray about it. I seek the Lord about it. I study the scriptures about it because I want to be faithful to you. And I'm not saying I'm going to be perfect. But what I am saying is that I, I think that you have somebody who's sincere standing in front of you. And I don't want to speak for myself. I can only tell you what people have told me about me. I think I'm sincere to, to be faithful to care for you. And so if it takes you a little time to, to keep growing in trust, that's okay. But I just want you to know that you are just about the most important thing in life to me. And, and I take it very seriously. Uh, that being said, I also need to acknowledge that we are going to be a house of shalom. And so we've got to walk in order. And so at the end of the day, if you do find yourself in this place where you're like, man, I can't submit to you. You're too young. Tell me you didn't think about that once or twice. <laughs> Tell me. You can't. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to yield to your leadership because you don't have experience. You talk with a little slang. You, <laughs> you preach too long. <laughs> I got to wrap this up. Listen, I, I say this with, with like the most humility and, and, and sincerity out of love. If you can't yield to the order of this church, I'm okay with that and I love you. But you got to find a church where you can yield to the order that God has installed in that church. Okay? And so if it ain't here, let it be somewhere, please, for your sake, for the building up of the body and for the glory of God. Amen? So, uh, leaders shouldn't desire any submission out of compulsion or fear, uh, but ultimately out of knowing that it's God's authority that has established the order in the church, and so we, we lead with joy. And, and I just want to take a moment to acknowledge every other person that's on this leadership team here at Northwood Church. I, I'm surrounded by a lot of mature brothers and sisters that are actually helping me be successful, by the way. Uh, I'm only who I am because of the people that are on the team, and I'm, I'm just so grateful for that, and, uh, and, and the way that we think about our leadership here at Northwood Church, especially around our groups and, and, and some of our, uh, you know, coordinator level leaders and even some of the other people that are not leading in a formal role that are just walking in the gifting and anointing of the Lord. Um, man, we, we, we consider them an extension of the pastoral oversight of this church. We're God's delegated Jordan authority. Jordan's delegated me authority. I'm, I'm, I'm delegating as much authority away as possible because, honestly, I hate holding it. <laughs> And, and, and I'm asking that you would acknowledge those faithful men and women in this way as well. Yield to their leadership. They're not going to get it all right. They're not going to be perfect. We're, we're all growing together. But, but please learn to trust God as you learn to trust those men and women as well as myself. Amen. So when we're in order, we'll experience shalom. Now the next two items, I, I think, and I have to go through these, unfortunately. I am way behind um, you're not that hungry, are you? I have to finish this. Accountability and discipline. Usually the reason that people are uncomfortable with this topic is because there's maybe leadership that hasn't stewarded their authority well. But when there's leadership that's stewarding authority well, then we can be comfortable with accountability and, and discipline. But 
the, the fact of the matter is the church is responsible for holding its members accountable to biblical standards of conduct. Now, I'm not just saying from leaders to members. I mean, really, Christians, brothers and sisters, are accountable to hold one another to a biblical standard of conduct. But if, if, if brothers and sisters aren't doing it, at least the church has to. We have to wave a, a banner of righteousness over this church. We have to, to hold a standard. It's Christ's church, and he's trusting us with it. And it's not critical and condemning. As a matter of fact, Galatians 6 talks about how. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love God, love people. And so in a spirit of gentleness, with a living in the law of love, we bear one another's burdens, not hypocritically, not thinking that we ourselves can't stumble the, the moment that we walk away from a confrontational conversation. We, we are subject to the same temptations. With humility and sobriety, we gently restore people. Confrontation, accountability, and even discipline is all about restoration. And some of us have been whooped so hard in churches, maybe even by our parents, and there wasn't any restoration in the whooping. If, if, we can, if we can be okay with a little loving accountability, then we can actually grow and mature. But it's, it's done in a way that's restorative. This is God's plan for his people. And I think it's important that we learn to walk in that. And some of us, were out here pow, 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 firing from there looking for sin. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> we don't roll that way around here, okay? <laughs> we're very relational. And we're very patient with one another. And we, we look to the Holy Spirit first. We pray first. God, would you do a work of conviction in that person's life? But if there's an unrepentant member, man, they're heading towards destruction. Isn't it the only loving thing that we could do to go and try to bring them back and restore them gently? So there's accountability and discipline. Then there's unity and diversity. The church is filled with diverse, not just ethnically and socially and et cetera, the, the, the church is filled with diversity of gifts and experiences and backgrounds, all united in Christ. And Ephesians chapter 4 says, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, again, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Our unity comes from the spirit, and it's a bond of peace. Shalom. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And like I used to say to my homies, one love. Is that funny? <laughs> we used to say that, you know, one love. You know why? Because we were showing solidarity and, and, and that was, you know, one love on the block. Now we show solidarity around one love in the flock. It was a little cheap, though. It was kind of cheap. Did that cheapen the message a little bit? <laughs> Unity in the church is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit who creates a bond of peace among us. And, 
and this oneness that we have, it's, it's around our faith, it's around our confession, and we've got to strive for unity within this church, not just the church, not just the global church, within this church. We've got to strive for unity and value the diversity of giftings, of backgrounds that each member brings to the body. And as we acknowledge the order, submission to Christ, submission to his word, submission to leadership structure, submission or accountability and discipline and unity and diversity, the shalom of God grows and increases in that community. And, and I'm just believing that that's what he wants for us so that we can be enabled as the church to fulfill our mission of proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. Are y'all good with this kind of order in this church? Are y'all wanting to be a church that's filled with the shalom of God? Well, it starts with shalom with the Father in right relationship, and that comes through the cross of Christ and salvation and forgiveness. And so I want to give an opportunity for any of you that have not yet experienced salvation, and then we'll pray for our church, and we'll go back into this song. And, and just so you know, when we're singing this song that, that we're about to go back into as we elevate Christ again in this moment, uh, there's going to be a prayer team here at the front of the auditorium during the song. And also there in the back of the auditorium in that corner because we're finding that some of you might be a little uncomfortable coming to the front. So we wanted to make a spot for you that might feel a little more anonymous. So there's going to be some people back there praying. And then immediately following service, we decided that the prayer team ought to stick around so that those of you who might not have wanted to come get prayer or might not have been ready to get prayer can still receive prayer. So after service, the prayer team is going to be around. And I just want to ask as people are praying, because we might be praying about healing from church trauma. We might be healing about praying about healing from other authorities that have wounded us and made it difficult for us to trust God and trust others. We might be praying for some other issue that we're walking through in our life, whatever it is that we're praying for, it actually matters a lot in that moment as those people are seeking the Lord together. And so I did want to just ask that as we're breaking down the church and as you guys are moving out of the auditorium, just be, be mindful of the, the atmosphere that's here, that we would acknowledge, man, we want this to be a prayerful atmosphere to where there's, it's a little less disruptive. And so just if you're near somebody that you see is praying, just give them a few feet, you know, and, uh, and, and let's honor what God's wanting to do in this household of faith. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we just come before you right now. We give you all thanks and praise. Lord, for those of us in this room who have not yet placed our trust in Jesus, not only as the Savior of our souls, who offers forgiveness through the cross of Calvary, but as the Lord of our lives, who leads us and guides us and is King that we are to submit to. If, if there's anyone in here that's never placed their trust in Jesus and submitted their lives to Jesus, God, would you just prick their heart right now? Holy Spirit, convict them. Lead them and guide them into all truth and righteousness. God, that they would know right now in this moment that they are loved by you, that you have a plan and a purpose to redeem them, to restore them back out of the hands of the enemy. And just like you instruct us to, to bring discipline and accountability with gentleness, you're doing that now. You are calling them home with a gentle voice, saying, my son or daughter, come home. If that's you in this room right now, just yield to that. Submit to Christ. Say, Christ, I, I surrender. You are Lord. Save me from my sin. Forgive me. Heal me in Jesus' name. I'll trust you for all the days of my life. Amen. That's your prayer. 
if that's you. And for all of us, Lord, in this church, God, we just thank you that we are the bride of Christ, that we are the body of believers, that we are a holy habitation, the spiritual temple, that we are the household of God. God, would you help us, God, to, to walk in that, a confidence and, a, and, a, and, a, and an assurity of our belonging to this church, God, to, to your people. We are the gathering and we belong to you. And so we just acknowledge that right now. And as we stand to our feet to worship the King of Kings, Lord, I pray that a confession of faith will rise up in this house, Lord. God, that we will worship with, with, with spiritual vitality, God, with, with confidence, with boldness. God, that we would lift our voice of praise and that you would be what you are always faithful to be, present with your people. God, we honor you in this place today as we worship you. In Jesus' name.